Good week. I really appreciate the hymns that you picked out, Hannah, this week. It really fits in uh, just perfectly with this morning's message. You know, uh, still be my vision, ruler of all. He is exalted. Uh, glory to the Lamb on his throne. So Colossians chapter 1, and we've been studying this passage of Scripture, or out of this, this letter to the Colossians. And uh, I'm going to go to verse 13. And we read Paul writing to the Colossians, for he, God, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. That was our lesson last week, Christ uh, as creator. So again, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head. This week's lesson, he's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might have, that he himself might come to have first place in everything. That he himself might come to have First place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of uh, to dwell in him. Again, read that. So verse 18 again. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Everything. Um, so I, I remember years ago and being mentored, studying, preparing for ministry. Um, this statement was made over and over and over again for me, uh, that the Bible is uh, the cure-all for everything. Uh, one p professor in TC, that was his kind of his catchphrase. The Bible is the cure-all for everything. And, uh, and then he would point to whatever the lesson was, whatever we were studying uh, in that college of biblical studies, every single class for a year, he would say, the Bible, God's Word, is the cure-all for everything. And then uh, he would always, almost always, preface some of those verses, this one being one in particular, uh, as a, a litmus test for that statement. And the way he would do it is what I want to share with you this morning is, so the Scripture says that Christ, that God had a plan for his Son. And ultimately, that, that plan, his purpose in that plan, was so that Christ himself might come to have first place in everything. So what's everything? First thing is, what's everything? Well, it's everything, isn't it? I mean, I shouldn't have to explain that to you. Uh, you know, it's everything. And so your life and my life, if you had to ask the question, uh, explain to me what everything in your life is. Everything, everything, not some things, not a few things, but everything. And so the cure-all that Jim Mankin used to say was that, and he said, I love this statement, that the scripture, God's holy written word, the law, Torah, the scripture, uh, always put Christ first. Doesn't matter where you're at. 
it's leading to, it's a story, it's a psalm, it's a, it's a hymn, it's prophecy, it, it, God's purpose always. Old Testament, if you're reading through the scripture right now in our daily reading, if, you're going through, if you've gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, now we're into Numbers and we've been in Job, uh, when you start to put out all those great moments in, that come out of the, the Bible and the history of God's people and God with them, uh, they're all leading towards something, teaching, illustrating, symbolizing, te- something that God had a purpose, and the purpose would be that he would provide a Messiah, a king, a savior, a son, a lamb, a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. And so that Messiah, that king, that savior, that lamb, that lion, that son uh, would have to have first place in everything. And the cure-all, Jim would say, is the scripture is that the scripture always leads us in some direction to cure everything that could be wrong in your life and my life. It doesn't matter what it is. We'll talk a little bit about that later on here as we go through this message. But you put yourself wherever you're at in your life, and you diagram what's going on in your life. You diagram what you're upset about, what you're struggling with, where you, you have a great need in your life, it does, makes no difference. You diagram your life where you're at right now and go back historically, any stage of your life. If you're older, maybe as a teenager, maybe you've been married for many years, go back to that time you were first married, whatever it is, any circumstance in your life, any history, the history of your life, and you diagram all the things that you were struggling with, Everything, the moment you reflect, this was difficult, this was hard, this is difficult, this is hard. And then you begin to examine, okay, how did I get through it? Or maybe you reflect and say, what was going on there? How do I get through this? And the scripture will always lead you to a cure-all, no matter what the circumstances are. Your marriage struggling, your, whatever, financially, health, anything, family, the scripture has a cure. It has a directive. It has a teaching. It has a mission. It has a commandment. It's cure. It has a song. It's, and it's a cure. And the cure is always this. It's the cure. The scripture leads us to a cure-all. And the cure-all is no matter where you're at in your life is Christ first. Because if he is first, problem solved in everything. The scripture always leads us to the headship, the kingship, the leadership, the firstness of Christ. Doesn't matter what it is. You want your marriage to be healthy? Put Christ first. You having an argument? You just have an argument with anybody. You've been offended. Your feelings are hurt. Step back from that and do this. What I'm arguing right now, what I'm upset about right now, what I'm struggling with right now is Christ first. Is he first? Is he leading my thoughts, my hearts, my emotion? My spirit, my, even my, me physically, 
Is he leading? Does he have first place in this argument, in this fear, in this uh, anger? Does he have first place? Does he? You say, well, okay, well, how would I know? Therein lies the equation. There's no thing in your life or my life where Scripture doesn't give the admonition, the direction, the answer. The, there's not one. You can't find it. I am convinced of this the more and the more and the more, and I've said this over and over again in many different settings, and, and I'm more convinced of it now than ever. Uh, it, it, it just, the, it's just the, the most convincing thing in my life is that there's not a circumstance that I'm aware of in history, amongst humans and humanity, myself personally, where Scripture doesn't give the answer, direction. I can't think of one. For years, Tammy and I in uh, Lomita, we would do on Sunday nights a question and answer. And it was such a blessing. Uh, man, note that, that church, um, man, those, those people, uh, they were really dedicated to knowing God's word. And they were. They were deeply committed to um, knowing God's word. They were not just Christmas, Easter Christians. I'm telling you. These folks um, were Bible-believing, knowing people, wanting to, they searched the Scripture. They were like the Bereans in the book of Acts. They were eager to study the Scripture. So on Sunday nights, we just have question and answer. You come and ask whatever question. It doesn't matter. You, and, and what uh, my responsibility was to give you an answer from Scripture. And those were rich, rich moments. I'm going to tell you, she loved those moments. We did that for uh, the five years that we were there. And it was such a blessing. Uh, but out of that, just in that experience, now, I, I dovetailed that with the years in prison ministry, um, going in uh, in the great classroom that is made up of, of uh, convicted felons. You have every flavor in the world, every ethnicity, uh, every level of education, age, um, background. Uh, and, and so the same thing for years. Uh, you you just you bring the topic you just uh, and the scripture provides an answer. It just does. I am not aware of anything that I have ever experienced in my life. I'm not aware of anything on the the, the stage of human history where the scripture the scripture will always or the scripture doesn't provide the answer. And at the core of that answer is if I understand God and his word and his purpose and is that his son needs to be first. He needs to be first. I mean, it's that simple. Um, so we read the passage, that verse. So again, I'm going to read it again. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body of the church and he is the beginning He's the beginning. You know, there's over 300 titles for Jesus in the Bible. Over 300 titles, Old and New Testament. It's just one. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You could go on. There's over 300. So right here is, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that he might, that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Paul just read Philippians chapter 2. Two about 
if there's any consolation or encouragement in Christ, something's got to happen. Have the same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he existed in the form of God, he didn't consider that something to be grasped. But he humbled himself to the point of slave, became obedient to the point of death. Why? Why? Because God had a purpose, and that purpose would be this. What's that purpose? Very simple. Hmm. So, therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen. But in the meantime, for you and I as Christians... Back to that, def- that question. What about you? And what about me? Does Christ have first place in your life in everything? Everything. Because just as Christ being first is the cure-all for everything, and everything in Scripture leads us to the fact that Christ is first, then you and I have a little bit of a problem because our struggle then is Christ probably is not first in your life and everything. I believe it takes a lifetime, I do, for that to take place in our life. But if we're honest, Christ is probably not first in our life and everything. So everything that's uncured in your life is because Christ is not first. And you may even know, here's even a greater dilemma. You may believe that. You may believe that, okay, uh, I'm having a struggle in this relationship, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a business relationship, a family, marriage, whatever. I don't know. Uh, But I'm having a struggle in it, and I know what Scripture teaches. But Christ isn't first. It may be that you don't know. I don't know what Scripture teaches, so I don't know how to make Christ first. But for us, most of us, many of us, I hope all of us at some point, we would know what the Scripture teaches, the cure-all, whatever's going on in my life, so that Christ could be first. But many times we know, for instance, I may be having a fight with my wife. Christ isn't first in my life He is not first in the midst of that struggle if I'm not loving her the way Christ loves the church. I'm not. I know what the cure-all, but what about you? You start looking at the the fights that you have with your spouse. I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to get real real with you here in a minute. I debated whether I was going to do this or not. Uh, I have to laugh about it now, but it's sad. So if you're in a struggle and you're having a struggle with your spouse, you ask yourself, I know what the scripture teaches about my role of putting Christ first in my marriage, but I refuse to do it. Why? Because Christ is not going to have first place at this moment in my marriage. In this moment in my marriage, I got to win this argument. He ain't going to have first place. I know what the cure all is, but he ain't getting it. I ain't going to do it. 
What did Pogo say? I've seen the enemy, and the enemy is us. So I just tell you, Tammy, uh, they're doing a ladies' Bible class. Is doing a uh, study on uh, was it Tuesday nights? Yeah, Tuesday nights. You ought to go if you're not coming to that. They're doing the Book of James, and so Tammy and I were discussing the fourth chapter. This is this is a great example. I tell you, I never believe in coincidence. So chapter four of James reads this way. This is the way it reads, and uh, it says, "What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you?" So that, what's the source? You could do at work. That Frank, they probably got they probably got quarrels and conflicts down there at Frank's country store. I never, just never, no, because you have Morgan working there for you and say hello. If you've never heard a hello from Morgan, you're missing out because she says hello. It's not she's talking about a halo, not a hello because she has it. I think she might have one, but uh, 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 Sandy, not so much. Okay, no. <laughs> Okay, so what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? This is what we're talking, she's getting ready. This, so we're talking about what is the source of quarrels. James is talking about is not the source of, it, here's the source. It's your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder, spiritual murder in this case, but you could be physical, and you're envious and cannot obtain. Envy, lust. Pleasures, envy, lust, lust, envy. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. But so a lot of people quote that verse and they don't. <laughs> you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is written by the half-brother of Jesus to the church, a church. So here's the problem with Christians, husbands and wives, and uh, church members, and uh, church families, Christian families. We quarrel and we conflict. Why? Our pleasures, uh, lust, envy, uh, wrong motives, pleasures, friendship with the world, Wishing to be a friend of the world. And all, what do those all have in common? Christ is not first in any of those things. So we're studying, and she's getting ready for Thursday, and uh, her, my fault, not hers. We end up having a quarrel in the pastor's house. Now, I'm just telling on me. I mean, there it is. She's got the right heart, and she's preparing, and we're going through the passage, and and, uh, and we end up fighting. She's probably going to kill me for this. But the point is this. I'm the pastor in the pastor's house helping my wife prepare and, and about a, a, a passage of Scripture that says, what's the source of your conflicts and struggles? Really? I can tell you Christ was not leading that conversation. He was not first. And I don't blame her at all. How could I? Her motives were pure. I don't know where mine were. I still, I think I'm going to plead stupidity, but I can't. I'm just guilty. I'm surprised I didn't get an amen out of that, Charlie. Amen, brother. Right? That's all good. But there's just one. We're in Jude this morning in the Sunday school, and uh, we're studying this passage about People in church. Jude, the other half-brother of Jesus, writing to a church. 
And he's talking about people that will infiltrate a church, and he calls them grumblers, people that find fault, following after their own lust. And I mentioned the class this morning, because when you read that passage, it, it, Philippians 2, it talks about grumbling again, grumbling, grumbling. I mentioned if you've been reading your uh, daily scripture reading about when you get to Numbers and, and uh, Leviticus and Exodus, uh, you know, over and over again in that, those readings, you, it says God speaks to Moses. Moses gives the people instructions. Well, like building the tabernacle. And they said they did everything they were supposed They did everything that they must do. They did it. They were obedient. And when they had to gather their money together for the building of the tabernacle, their offerings, man, it says they gave each man and woman as their heart led them. And they gave and they had an abundance. So we always think of the, you know, those... <laughs> people in the desert is just sorry old folks. But the scripture even says there were times where, where obviously Christ was leading them. They didn't mind building stuff. They didn't mind even giving some stuff. But you know the single biggest problem, the one that got them in more trouble than all the other things? Grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining. It's a, it was what we do. We grumble and we complain. I think it becomes habitual. How many of you, have you ever been at Thanksgiving or Christmas and you got, or you having a family reunion and it starts out pretty good, but eventually the conversation, somebody's going to start grumbling and complaining about somebody, something or somebody. It's just our flesh, isn't it? It's our nature and churches do it. These letters right here were to the church. Jim Mankin, the same guy said, listen, Christ, the scripture's the cure-all. Christ being first is the cure-all for everything. And he said, you want to find out, you, when you get to a church, you're serving a church, you're at a church. He said, at the center of every conflict, you will always find the grumblers and complainers. Now, they're self-righteous, and they may even be hard-working folks. They may even some, be some of the biggest donors. But they're grumblers and they're complainers. It's instinctive in us. It's in our flesh. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy a church. And it just will. And we always feel justified in our grumbling and complaining. But here's the deal. Christ will never and can that and won't be first when you grumble and complain. If you're grumbling and complaining, Christ is not first. He cannot be first. You can't find a reason to grumble and complain if Christ is first, no matter what the circumstances in your life are. You cannot do it. But we like to grumble, and we, like to, and we grumble and complain about other people. And we, very rarely do we ever, we grumble and we complain about other people. And usually, it may be somebody, well, I, I'm not, that... Charlie, that'd be a dog trail. There. That'd be a rabbit trail. I'm not doing that this morning. Talk, Charlie and I visited this week, and uh, we talked about preachers going down rabbit trails. So I've never been guilty of that. And uh, forgive me again, Lord. But, uh, and so here you go. So here's the reality. If the cure-all that Scripture always leads us to is Christ being first, we know why Christ is first. It was God's purpose in his son to make him first. He's supposed to have first place in everything. And then you and I start looking in the mirror and say, I don't think he's got first place here. I hope we can do that. Sometimes we don't even do that. Sometimes we're not even honest with the image in the mirror. We say, no, yeah, yeah Christ doesn't have first place. 
That will be the source of your conflicts in Israel. When Christ doesn't have first place, you're always going to be, you'll be too busy, overwhelmed, stressed, because Christ doesn't have first place. So what has to happen? Uh, we're going to look at two verses real quick. Then we'll have a conclusion. On your handout here, um, something has to happen for Christ to have first place in everything. The main thing that has to happen is that you and I have to die to ourselves. The hardest death that we'll ever experience is dying to ourselves. We just, it is the single hardest thing we do is dying to ourselves. Ourself, we're born in iniquity, the 51st Psalm. We're born sinners. From the garden, Genesis, Adam and Eve, they were not born sinners, but they sinned. And subsequently, every man, woman that has ever been born, male and female child, we're born sinners. And so we have this flesh. But God, putting Christ first, saved us. And when he saved us, what did he do? He gave us his Holy Spirit. He sanctified us. He justified us. All those things. But we live in this dying flesh with the Holy Spirit of God in us. That's our conflict. And yet God has given us everything that we need so that we can die to ourselves. He's given us his son. He gave us his Holy Spirit. And he gave us his word. And he gave us the church. Those are, that's it. Christ, so that you and I could die to ourselves he gave his son, the Holy Spirit, and we get, all, we get our sanctification, justification, redemption, all of that because of Christ, then the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then we have his word, and then we have the church. The church is supposed to be the people that Christ is leading and what we, when we're a sweet aroma, light, and salt, we're a group of people that are dying to ourselves. And it's evident. It's evident. It's evident because the fruits of the Spirit are evident. And the deeds of the flesh are evident. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And so we have to die to ourselves. So let's go to, let's go to Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I cannot do even again. You can use these for your own study. The fourth chapter of Ephesians. Um, I'm going to begin reading in, I'm going to go 20. He talks about, uh, talks about in verse uh, 18 about the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of heart. That's about our under, people that have been darkened in their understanding. Um, and they've become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you didn't learn Christ that way. Christ having leadership, Christ being first. How did you learn Christ? Uh, if indeed you've heard of, if you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Because there's a contrast. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, they aside falsehood, all this stuff. 
So you and I, and it's throughout Scripture, I said I was going to read two, you can read the others, uh, as God saves us, gives us his Holy Spirit, teaches us through his word, assembles us together as a family, a bride, a family, light, sweet aroma, salt, uh, something has to happen. We have to be putting aside daily, we have to die to sin daily, we've got to be putting our side, uh, we gotta, you got to do it, you got to put ourselves aside, you've got you to die to your flesh. And he has given you and I everything. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That's two things now. So if that's got to happen, in order for Christ to be first, I have to die to myself. And he's given me everything that I need to die to myself. So here, why don't I die to myself? This is the cure-all, Christ first. Giving me everything I need so that Christ can be first. But Christ didn't lead me in a certain area of my life. Why? Because why? I don't want to die to myself. I do not want to die to myself. Let's just be honest. I was a young Christian at MacArthur Park Church Christ and had gotten involved just doing bus ministry and then youth ministry and it was just a powerful time in my life. And it was surrounded by great Christian men and women and there was a conflict between two of the deacons. It was, and the preacher, Randy Fenner, said, hey, uh, Aubrey, I want anybody that's involved in ministry, we're going to have a meeting, and we want you to come to the meeting. And the, part of one of the meetings, there was a conflict between two deacons. And, and uh, I, I knew them. I didn't know them intimately, but I knew them. And uh, my opinion is these are great guys. I mean, I'm, and, and there was a great conflict uh, between these two men. And it was the first time that I had ever heard it. As the, as the preacher and the elders were trying to help resolve this, because uh, this was potentially damaging. They were doing ministry one-on-one. One of the gentlemen said in that meeting, in front of, I don't know, it was about 30 of us there, he said, listen, this is business. I'm a Christian, but this is business, word for word. Don't be open to, don't you be preaching the Bible to me. A deacon now, I, you know what? He was bold enough to say it. This is business. Oh. So, and this is the guy that goes to church. Was there every week when the doors were open. And, uh, but in this particular conflict, well, there was a business relationship. This man said, and the leaders of the church trying to bring resolution to the glory of God by leading them both to that first place of Christ. One of the gentlemen said, uh-uh, time out. This is business. I may be a Christian, but, it, huh? but that's just presently honest. I almost appreciate it. He was bold enough to speak it. Here's another problem. We may not be bold enough to speak it. We may even, the closet of our mind, the closet those areas, and we don't let anybody in. We might even be aware of it. But then what happens is it becomes so strongly in, into our persona that we even become numb to it. And we've even forgotten that huh, this is the business of me and flesh 
and Christ don't get leadership in that area. Challenge, isn't it? And you can always see it. And so that's got to happen. And then why is that so difficult? Luke, go to Luke. We'll just hit a couple of these real quick. I, I, uh, you go to Luke in the ninth chapter, and Jesus makes a comment. I'm going to ask you to read some of these on your own because I want to finish here pretty quick. But in, in the ninth chapter of Luke, uh, Jesus kind of brings everything to point here. He, he's well advanced into his ministry and the people are following him and he's preaching and performing miracles and wonders and signs. And uh, in verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's a big statement. That would be first place in everything, wouldn't it? And Jesus said to him, mm, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You really going to follow me? I don't think you know what I'm gonna, where I'm going to take you. And he said to another, follow me. Now Jesus said, follow him. So the first one said, we'll follow you. And then Jesus says, you, fo you follow me. If you're a Christian, at some point in your life, whether you're aware of it or not, Jesus has said to you as the call for the grace and mercy and the love that you and I receive from him, he has said, follow me. Follow me. And this gentleman said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Huh? Well, that's reasonable. That, that's reasonable, right? And, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I'll follow you, Lord. Called him Lord. But first, permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. But So first. There's always a first. There's always... A justifiable reason. There's always something that we think that God might be in agreement with. Well, certainly he'd want me to go bury, you know, that. I mean, it'd be certainly okay. Do you realize and do I realize how exacting the cost of Jesus being first is? We have such a casual relationship in our thinking of what God is asking for us to do and requiring us to do. And he doesn't. He doesn't have a casual approach to that. His approach is no. No, no, no. You won't talk about first? I'll talk to you about first. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a harsh statement. Jesus is trying to establish something. Now, there's even a harder one. You should read the fifth chapter of Luke where Jesus was telling, they were fishing him. Jesus tells them, I listen, you go out, you, this is how you need to fish. And they do, and they get a net. It's so much fish. But the great story is they come back to the beach. And you know what? These, these men, this, this Peter and, and James and John, they said, they, they left every, they left, they left their boat. They left the fish. They left everything, and they followed him. 
And then Jesus teaches, and even go to Matthew, let's see, Matthew chapter 10, and we'll finish here. I'm going to start in verse 34. And you want even a more descriptive. The story in Luke is even more, it's, hard, it's even dealt with more harshly. So you can do the cross reference. But in uh, Luke chapter 10, it says, do not think that I came, verse 34, I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace. Now he is the prince of peace. But he understood to establish peace, something had to happen. He said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, church, and I said, I'm reading you to condense the, the nicer version of this. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. That happened in the first century. I believe it still happens today. As people were making a decision to follow Christ, as people, as God saved them, and they received him, and, and, and Christ became king and first and leader in their life, there was such, there was such a harsh time for first century Christians. They were seen as radical, radicals by the Jews in the Roman culture. And, you know, people were having to make a choice. My family thinks I'm crazy. My family thinks I'm nut, a nut. My family, thinks I, I, my family thinks I'm rebelling against the Roman Empire. My family thinks many of the first century converts were, were Jews. And that's what was happening. And, and that's how divisive Christ being first in your life can be. Did you, I want you to hear, that's how divisive to the world that Christ being for, he will, he will stretch your business principles. He will teach you what it is to submit in your marriage and your relationships. He will teach you humility when it's our nature to be proud and arrogant. He will, he will judge your grumbling and complaining. And, and it may be that your family will be divided. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Men and he who is not worthy of me and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Paul would write to the Colossians, he said, whatever you do in word and deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to end here. I hope that you read those other passages, but my challenge, the challenge from the word of God is for you and I to examine our lives and examine it from one perspective. Two things happening. You're not happy about something in your life. You're stressed out about something in your life. You're overwhelmed by something in your life. You, you immersed in something in your life where it becomes the totality of your life and you've justified it. You've justified it. I've seen this is a trap for high drive person, people that 
uh, I've seen it. We, you know, they become so immersed in their work. I would never speak a word against my father. He's as good a man as I'll ever meet, and I love him to this day. And he has meant so much to me, still does. But he left the house every morning at 5, 5.30. Hardly ever got home till 7, 8 o'clock at night. He worked most of my time from the, you know, I was a kid. He was gone a lot. He was immersed in his business. I'm going to tell you something, folks. We always had cool water to drink. Warm water to drink. We were cool in the summer, warm in the winter. We had clothes to wear, and the pantry was never bare. And I'm thankful for that. And this is not a criticism of my father, and I've watched him evolve as a man, and it's such a powerful thing to witness. But I have seen it in myself. I have seen it in other people that we will just become so almost incensed with this thought, the way I measure myself as a man or a woman, that I, you know, it seems though, even though this is first in my life, it's a really good thing. No, it's not. If your business, Christ is not first, your business is dividing you from Christ. If your family is first and Christ isn't, your family is dividing you from Christ. If your religion, your religion, brother and sister, I've seen that. If your need to be right and first and seen and heard is first, it's dividing you from Christ. And what a pitiful, dark, empty place to be. No greater dark, empty place to be is then to be divided from Christ. Much more to say on this, but we're, we're through this morning. Uh, I do pray for each and every one of us that we examine ourselves in light of Christ having first place in everything in our life. Our conversations work marriage, friendships, family, everything. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer is that you indeed, you and only you, Father, you and alone, all, Father, that your son who's sitting at your right hand and he is indeed the judge and savior of all men, Father, that he would have first place in everything that there'd be nothing that we would withhold from him, Father. We would not, we, he would have first place in our money. He would have first place in our marriages and he would have first place in our, in our work, in our homes, in our health, in all that everything, our language, Father, our mind, heart, spirit, and soul. Father, as your word says that we're to love you with all our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength, Father, we understand that that means putting your son first in every spiritual, intellectual, emotional, and physical endeavor in our life, Father, we pray that Christ would be first. And Father, we know all we have to do is look to the cross. And on that terrible cross, even death on a cross, he certainly, he certainly is first. 
and every knee, Father, will bow, and every tongue shall confess, just as your word is said. And so today, Father, we kneel and we confess that Jesus is Lord and help remove anything in our life that keeps us from putting him first. And it is in the first name, the name that is above all other names, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.